Welcome to the Breaking Into Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. Single parents overcome obstacles and develop skills that many of us don't have. Unfortunately, society tries to shame people that got pregnant as teenagers by telling them that they are not going to be successful. On today's episode, Rita Henderson talks about how she was determined not to be a statistic, drove from the East Coast to the Bay Area with no place to live, and leveraged online resources like the Breakout List to land several offers from startups, ultimately landing a position with honor. This is part two of a special series with Rita's sister, Idaline Bobet. If you like this episode or find it inspiring, make sure you tell your friends and check that one out as well. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yes. So tonight we're sitting at App Academy. It's um, 8 p.m. on a Sunday. And uh, this is actually going to be the last episode of 2016. So there's a lot of people who we respect for the things that they've accomplished. There's a lot of people that we admire, but there's not a lot of people who inspire you. So today's episode, if you had to describe it in one word, that word would be inspiring. Ruben, can you please introduce our guest? Yeah, Tim, I think that you you hit the nail on the head. I think that this is uh, one of my favorite stories that I've ever heard. You know, we're here with Rita Henderson, who's leading several recruiting efforts at Honor on the supply side. And today she's going to share her story about how she broke into tech as a teen parent from D.C. and North Philly. And we're really excited to have her here. So, Rita, thank you for joining us tonight. Take us back to the beginning and where it all started. Yeah. So thank you guys again for having me here. I'm really excited. So you guys want to go way back. Let's go back. So, yeah, I just a couple, I guess, days ago, you had my sister, Yudeli, and so she kind of explained our story. But my story, even though I grew up in the same household with her, we grew up really differently. So I grew up in North Philadelphia in an area called Badlands, which is one of the most poorest areas in Philadelphia. We, you know, grew up in a big mixed family. So I had about, you know, six to nine siblings, if you want to call it. And, you know, our neighborhood, I mean, you had prostitutes and, you know, crackheads on the corners. You got kids running around with dirty clothes and no shoes. I was one of them. I'm not going to lie. You had, you know, drug busts happening every weekend. You usually saw men in our neighborhood, you know, coming in and out of prison. So there was that absence of, you know, men being involved in your life. But with me, I was blessed with the opportunity to have my parents together and married. So having my dad in my life was a big advantage. But unfortunately, having parents who were getting paid, you know, practically minimum wage, they had to live about, sorry, work about two to three jobs just to take care of you know, all of us and put food on the table. So even though my dad was there, my mom was there, they were also absent. But just growing up in that neighborhood and, you know, living that crazy lifestyle, thing about me, my background is that I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed living in Badlands. You know, that was a part of me that thickened my skin, that that's what taught me how to hustle. You know, it was just, it was exciting. Every day you woke up, something new was going to happen. And I didn't want to get out that environment. And now that I'm older and looking back on it and just reflecting, I just know it's because I didn't know what was out there. That's what we were used to. And, you know, 
Yeah, so take us back to, um, Mm -hmm. I guess, middle school, elementary school days. Tell us about your household who were influential figures in your life, Mm -hmm. um, and we'll take it from there. Yeah. So um, in my household, you know, if any of my siblings are listening to this, I love you all deeply. But one of the most influential people in my life is my sister, Edeline Bobet. Me and her have such a different, well, sorry, such a deep, unique bond. And that's because even though, you know, my parents loved me, they couldn't afford to have me around. I was the youngest, but it was really tough for them. And when my sister went off to college in Western Pennsylvania, they had to make the choice to send me with her and have her care for me for a couple of years while they go, you know, get back on their feet. So throughout middle school, I had to make that transition from coming from North Philadelphia, such a crazy, you know, neighborhood. It was poor. It was, it was just, it was dirty. It was grimy, but you know, something I was used to. And then they picked me up and took me to the small town, you know, majority, you know, Caucasian, maybe five or maybe 2% African American. And it was such a shock in culture. And I remember my first day in middle school, even, you know, my teacher questioned me being there and wanted to confirm and, you know, spoke to the principal. I was like, you know, does the student really belong here? And to be honest with them, I was like, listen, I actually don't belong here. I'm forced to be here, but I'm here. So, you know, just I had to live with my sister throughout her years in college. And we developed a deep relationship because we had to struggle together. So even though I was in that little small, nice town, where people had, you know, a better family structure and education and better resources, we were still struggling because we were still broke. So that first year, I remember we had to sleep in a small one bedroom with, you know, me and her and her friend and I slept on the floor and, you know, somehow them two shared the twin bed, barely had food. We didn't have a car and the school refused to pick me up. They refused to have me on their school bus. So we had to walk about two miles to school every day. Why did they refuse to have you? Was it because of race or something? Yeah. Yep. It was definitely because of race because they didn't think I fit into that school district and they didn't think I would make it. And they were kind of right because I wasn't, I didn't have the proper education. When my elementary school was like a daycare. So they didn't teach us. They was like, here, look, here's a book. Either you read it or you don't. Either way, I'm getting paid. Have a good day. And we ran around school, whatever. But it was just a way to have our parents go to work while they wash their kids. They didn't teach us the times tables. They didn't teach us cursive or grammar. That's something I had to teach myself. So when I went to this new middle school, they looked at me like, this girl does not belong here. She, she's not going to make it. And I was the only black girl in my class. And not only, not just being the only black girl, but being a black girl from the hood, they wasn't used to someone like me and someone like my sister as well, who mm-hmm. just had a baby face. She was 18 and she was supposed to be my guardian. Yep. So they made it really hard for us. But we had we had to rock out those two years of being together while she was in college. And then eventually I did go back to Philadelphia. And when I went there, I kind of felt sorry looking at the other students because those two years had taught me a lot. And the things that I learned in that middle school, they were just now learning getting to high school. Wow. So what was that like kind of going back to where you grew up, knowing what's what else is out there? Because before yeah. you kind of you, like you said before, you enjoyed it. You, you liked it because yeah. you weren't aware of what's out there. Once you saw like this middle school that was mostly white, they had all the privilege, they had mm-hmm. teachers who actually taught them. And then you go back to that environment. What was that transition like yeah. back to? All thing I can up? say is uh, I woke up <laughs> because I was in shock. And I remember I, I sat down with some of my neighborhood friends and I'm like, 
yo, they even have a pool in the bottom of of the, at the school. And they're like, no, they don't. I was like, they even have a rock climbing wall. Like they mm-hmm. have everything. They got a science room with actual animals in there. They teach you about atoms and matter. They're like, what's that? I was like, I don't know, but I, I learned that because somehow I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, I realized like we were missing so many things in our school just the proper education having teachers that cared about us and wanted to actually teach us mm-hmm. was just a big key right there and i just had to explain that to them but i was i remember when i first came back and i just looked around like this isn't right it shouldn't be this many you know broke down factories there just shouldn't be there many this many you know poor people sleeping on the corners or you know prostitutes here and there and the kids running around all these needles here where's the help mm-hmm. and the things that no one knew that this is not the way we were supposed to live. We just, we got used to it. So we just cope. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember when I got back, I was just like, no, this is not where I'm going to end up. This is not, you know, where I want to be. So so what was next for you? So you mm-hmm. moved back, you kind of started hanging out with your old friends again. Yeah, and, and um, unfortunately, um, that stuck those two years. You know, I, I was I was where my parents wanted me to be in terms of focusing on school. But then when I got back to that environment, I did fall off and, you know, started cutting school more and my GPA dropped tremendously. I don't even know if I had a GPA. It was so low. And it was really hard. But at, you know, the age of 17, I was pregnant of my daughter, London Ray. And that's when everything changed for me because I knew what was out there mm-hmm. and what I could bring to her. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to bring all those resources I learned within those two years. I mm. wanted her to grow up in that. And I mm. wanted to make sure that was in her schools. And I wanted to make sure she had that structured family. And I wanted to make sure everything was different than what I had because mm-hmm. I knew my parents were trying. They were trying and trying to make give me a better life. And some reason I was resisting that. But I was like, no, 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 no. With her is going to be different. So the first six months I did hide my pregnancy. So my parents, no one, nobody knew that I was pregnant. And you had a flat belly. No one could have guessed it. And then after a week after junior prom, I had announced it to everybody. But I was really hesitant because I didn't want to lose my teenage year so soon. Mm-hmm. I knew once I announced it to everyone, I would have to be an adult. And on top of that, I knew people were going to look at me as another statistic. And that's something I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. So just having all those barriers placed against me from because of society. Totally. And how did, how did your parents react to the news once you told them that you were pregnant? Yeah. So I'm just going to bring Idalene back into this, but I had to really thank her in that moment because it took a lot to sit them down in that room and tell them, you know, that I was pregnant, knowing that I was a child that them two created together. And for them to, you know, have to make that decision to move me away, hours away with a sibling because they couldn't care for me just so that I have a better life. And the way I repaid them is, you know, becoming pregnant and actually being another statistic young black girl in high school being pregnant that was something that was common in my neighborhood so that disappointment I didn't want to see and you know my sister was there for me and she sat them down and she spoke to them and we you know we broke the news and it it took them a while especially my father to look at me again because he was like that's it he was like we tried we tried we tried but you must really want to be here you must really want to stay in North Philly and now you are so even my dad looked at me as a statistic and I don't blame him yeah, and on the show, we talk a lot about turning your advantages or mm-hmm. disadvantages or perceived disadvantages mm-hmm. into advantages to get to where you want to go. Yeah. So what was next for you? Like, how did you yeah. How did you address it? So after I, I made that announcement, I knew it was time to fight. I knew it was time to grind. It was time to hustle. And I'm like, listen, this hood taught me a lot. So I'm going to 
put this into action. So when I I had my daughter the first day of high school, I'm sorry, first day of 12th grade. And I remember I, I was pushing so hard that I was trying to make it to my actual first day. And as I know, you and Larry had to actually go to the hospital. And usually when moms give birth, they take six weeks off, you know, for health reasons. And I only took a week and a half off because I knew I had to hurry up and get back into school. And I had to hurry up and start learning and start boosting up my GPA. So when I got back to school that second week, I mean, my eyes are still swollen. My body was still recovering. But I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm here. And this time I'm here to actually work. So I went back to school and I tried my best. The thing with my teachers, they, they didn't have my schoolwork ready for me. They was like, look, you behind, you better figure out how to catch up. They did not help me at all. So that resource wasn't there. Having your teachers to support you, they weren't supporting me. Mm-hmm. They looked at me like, you already failed. I don't know why you keep trying. But I fought my way through 12th grade. And unfortunately, with my GPA being so low, once I graduated, it was still hard to get into college. So mm-hmm. I applied. I applied to Indiana University. I applied to Temple. I applied to Drexel and Western, sorry, Westchester. And of course, got denied with a GPA like with a 1.9. No one's going to bring me in. Mm-hmm. So I made the plan to move back to Western Pennsylvania mm-hmm. to live with my friend and her grandmother, live in their basement and go to community college out there. So. I can start to build, you know, my grades and get into that four year college. And that's what I did. I took two semesters in community, got a, I think it was a 2.8, but that was enough to make it into Indiana University. And that's when I started schooling there. That's awesome. What what did you study in college and why did you choose that major? Yeah. yeah so um, once I got into IUP, I majored in criminology. So I really wanted to study the criminal justice system because going back to what I said before, the men in our lives were absent because they were in prison. And if they were in prison, they were only out for two weeks and then they were right back in. And it wasn't even men. It was also young boys. So having, you know, 15, 16 year olds going to, you know, juvenile centers and everything. And I'm like, what's this cycle? Like why? I'm, I need to break this pipeline because this is not this is not how it's supposed to be. So I wanted to study it and connect with people who was already making change to connect with activists and things like that and seeing what we can do. So I studied criminology and while I was in college, my sister was in my ear, I think my junior year. And she was like, you know, you might want to minor in tech. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why would I do that? You know, technology is no, no offense. I'm like, technology is for the white folks. We, we can't, I can't handle tech. Like that's because I was taught like that's something that's out of my league. Like you can't learn that kind of math. And you can't learn those kind of tools. You can't break into a computer. We thought like when I think tech, I thought you sit in front of a computer and you code all day. And it's like, numbers, uh, I don't know. Um, and I'm like, I cannot do that. No way. And she kept trying to push me and push you. Like, if you're not going to major in it, minor or take one class. But I refused just out of fear. Just because yeah. I knew it was like, no, I'm not going to make it in tech. Like, that's not going to happen. And I wish if I could go back, I wish I would at least took one class, but I didn't. All good. All good. So, so you're focused on criminology things to solve the help solve the school to prison pipeline mm-hmm. issue you were exposed to potentially being interested in tech mm-hmm. um something that you talked about a little bit in the pre-interview was the importance of internships and experience you did yeah. some things in elder care mm-hmm. you did some things related to social justice can you talk about that a little bit yeah so while i was in college you know some of the students that went to college their parents was help paying for their education or they were at least they had a savings account built for them throughout their years in college. And my parents didn't have that. So when I moved to IEP with just me and my daughter, who was just two years old at the time, 
I had no money at all. So not only was I a full time student and a full time mother, I was also a full time employee, you know, working in elderly care and, you know, helping elders. And also, I'm sorry, people coming out of uh, rehabilitation centers. So I was doing that just on the side just to have some income. And I know my sorry, my teachers at the time were saying, you know, you need to have an internship. You have to have that internship. Well, internships don't pay you. So how am I supposed to be a mother and take care of my child and be in school, but have a job where you're not going to pay, like, you're not going to pay me nothing? (laughs) That's not possible. So unfortunately, I could not, you know, take on an internship throughout my years in college. But once I graduated, it was around the Ferguson uprising. And I mean, if you guys do not know about the Ferguson uprising and Mike Brown, you have some personal issues. You need to go on Google right now and put in Mike Brown. I'm not going to explain it to you because you should already know that. But during the Ferguson uprising, my sister Edeline was launching her second cohort of the Roy Clay Senior Workshop. So bringing tech education and political science to use in the community while also building local websites for local businesses, black and brown businesses in Ferguson is you know what she was doing. And I wanted to be on that ASAP. That is the reason why I went to college, because I was trying to make a change. I'm trying to bring resources to these communities. You know, I'm trying to break this pipeline. And that's what she was doing. So I had moved to Ferguson right after college uh, with me and my daughter. And, you know, when we moved there, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. You know, the community was damaged. The buildings were burned down. You know, when we stood there, we stood in a, a one bedroom again with four people. There was no furniture, no TV, no nothing. But we worked it out those three months, you know, and I went in there as a program coordinator. But when you're doing a project like that, you're playing many roles. And I remember I was taught, you know, Google uh, worksheets and um, using Google Docs and, you know, other resources for the first time. But playing those many roles is where things started to click in my head. So going to college was mostly like just learning theories and writing papers, but not having those actual skill sets. So working in Ferguson, having that first kind of internship for three months um, had taught me a lot. And that's when I really started to, you know, get into more of the startup role and seeing how things work. But I did that for three months. And once the project was over, I decided to move to D.C. And that's where I was began working for the FDA. So that working there, um, what got me into it was they needed someone, a program coordinator, for a new project that they had opened, trying to bring employment to people in Puerto Rico. And what they needed was about 100 inspectors and a couple of miners, but just bringing those resources to Puerto Rico. And that's where my family is from. Mm-hmm. So when I heard about it, I'm like, of course, you know, I wanted to be on that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be, be able to help folks there. Sure. So once I heard about the opportunity, I interviewed with them and was hired. And, you know, did that for about a year. But making that change from coming from Ferguson and playing a role that I did with the Roy Clay Senior Workshop and, you know, playing different hats. And we were, we were doing a lot. I was learning a lot. Mm-hmm. And then going into kind of like a corporate role where I was just stagnant. So I had this the same role that I had working at the Roy Clay Senior Workshop is the same role I had working for the FDA. But it was completely different duties. I guess you would say that. So I only was, I came into work, probably worked for five hours doing the same thing every day. And then that was it. Compared to when I worked in Ferguson, we worked like 12 hours straight. So just, I kind of missed that 
I miss mm-hmm. that learning too. I miss that hustle. Like that entrepreneurial yeah. drive. And, yeah. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about why uh, bringing employment to Puerto Ricans was important to you? Yeah. And I, I do know that some of the things that you did in that role were mm-hmm. like, you know, related to Salesforce and things like yeah, that. You yeah. did use some, t- you did learn more tech skills yeah, in this corporate job. Of course. So can you so, talk about that too? Mm-hmm. So when I first started working for the FDA, and as I mentioned, the reason why I wanted to do that is because I had family in Puerto Rico. Some of my family members had lost, you know, they lived on a farm. They lost their animals. Some of them lost their homes. So I had knew I wanted to make a change to that community. So like I said, that's the main reason why I took that role. And while working there, I, the systems that they used, and I find this a little bit funny, um, one of them was Salesforce. And Salesforce was brand new to me. And it was a lot to turn, learn. I was a little intimidated by it. But I thought it was just a small little tool that they used there. And I'm just going to move forward just to the future, so to the present day. But when I first moved here to California, matter of fact, I'm sorry, when I came to visit California, we drove through San Francisco. And I remember seeing Salesforce buildings really big, like everywhere. And I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) You tell me this tool I was using in D.C. is this huge in San Francisco? No way. And everyone's like, yeah, you, you know about Salesforce? I'm like, yeah, I've been using it for a year. I didn't know. And everyone's down here is like you if you know how to use salesforce then you're in because that's people are looking for that experience but yeah i was introduced to salesforce and docusign there was a couple of some reason i can't remember them that was a huge benefit working for the fda because i saw how that helped me now awesome (laughs) yeah and then uh i know now you ended up working at a startup Mm -hmm. so describe the transition yeah. What actually gave you the idea yeah. or who gave you the kind of the push yeah. to move out to the West Coast? Yeah. So, of course, you know, my sister, Edeline, she's been out in California for about six, seven years now. And while she was here, she was trying to get me out here with her. And she's like, you know what, Rita, like, I know you're happy with your position, but you need to get into startup. Like, you need to build. You need to get that exposure. Like, the same way you, you got in Ferguson. I know that's what you wanted. And I was scared at first because I was comfortable in D.C., I had my little corporate job. I had my home for once that actually had two bedrooms in it. My daughter had her own room. You know, I was close to my family. I was comfortable. And I knew, I was like, if I make this jump, I'm going to go back to struggling again. And is it worth it? So I decided, I was like, let me just give it a try. Let me, let me just go out to fly out to California for one week and connect with people and see what's really out there for me. And before going out there, I was introduced to Ruben here. And, um, you know, my sister's like, you need to speak to him. He's really dope. He's like a life coach. He's going to he's going to get you ready for this. So I, me and Ruben didn't even meet before. Our first time was talking was when I told him about my story. And like he was like, wow, he's like, you're dope. <laughs> like we're going to get you out here. We're going to we're going to connect you to the right people. Like because I told him I was scared. I was like, I'm not I don't think she understands that I'm not ready for this. I'm not her. Like I can't get into tech. That's not who you know, I'm not going to make it. And he's like, no, he's like, this is what you have to learn. Like you have to, you know, take these notes, um, study these articles. So he introduced me to the breakout list and breakout careers, how to start a startup, the Y Combinator. Was it C5183? CS183. There you go. CS183 notes. notes. And I mean, we spoke, I think it was like every, practically every day. He was like, so did you read your article? Did you, did you read that video? Like, listen to that mm-hmm. video. He was on me. But he made sure before I flew out here for those couple of days that I was prepared. And so some of the things that we went through was going yeah. over your story, yeah. which was talking about, you know, what you were interested in, what sparked your interest in that, how you developed that interest, mm-hmm. what you want to do today and the companies that you're interested in. Now, on the breakout list, you know, what were some of the things that you were focused on the most? 
or when you were going through reading those types of career notes? Yeah. So what was I focused? Well, what what are the roles I was like? What are to? some of the things that jumped out to you the most when you were going to it based off of your background? Yeah. So I remember some of the roles that was open was when I was first going into this was mostly the recruiting and the HR roles and a lot of those startups is that that's what the positions that they had open and what they were looking for. And I'm like, well, I've been doing this for about two to three years now. Um, I had a ton of recruiting experience, HR experience. And then there was also some roles that was, you know, social justice as well. And there were still startups. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, okay, so, you know, here's, you know, this startup company who is focused like on activism and they're looking for, you know, a recruiter. And that's what I have. So I'm like, I could do this. He <laughs> just speaks my language, you yep. know? And I didn't think those positions, were, I didn't, when you think startup, I didn't, and you think tech, I didn't, and that's, that wasn't my vision. So that's why I kept, I was so hesitant about coming out here. Cause I'm like, they don't have any roles that's available to me and my skill sets. But Ruben showed me different. <laughs> also, also, and, and that led to a conversation about marketplaces. And a lot of startups are really focused on marketplaces, like mm-hmm. Airbnb is a marketplace, Lyft mm-hmm. is a marketplace, Uber is a marketplace. Honor is also a two sided marketplace there's supply and the demand mm-hmm. and a lot of things that you were focused on was the supply yeah. so that led to you identifying companies on the breakout list that were two-sided marketplaces mm-hmm. so can you tell us a little bit about some of the companies that you interview with yeah. um, that were consistent not with just the marketplaces but your passion for social justice and healthcare yeah. and things like that yeah so when well when i finally came out here to visit for those four days as soon as i landed like we had all these sorry, coffee meetings lined up for me to meet with, you know, people from different roles and different companies. So I remember I, I met up with folks, you know, like at Clever, at Slack, at Airbnb, at Code 2040. And there's one more, I think it was also Medium as well, but just speaking to them and getting into those roles and trying to, I was, it was more so not as an interview, but just asking them, how can I prepare? If I wanted to get into this and you, you guys listening to my background, what advice would you give me? And I remember it was one meeting that I had that kind of threw me off because I felt like he looked at me like I wasn't ready. And I took his words and I let that bring me down. And I, I went back to me, wanted to go back into my shell, like, you know, this is out of my league. And I had Idalina Ruben in my ear, like, no, 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 that's going to happen. There's going to people, there's going to be people who don't believe you or like don't believe in you and feel like, you mm. know, this is not your kind of role. This is not your scene or. You know, there's going to be job offers like, listen, you are not qualified at all. But that's use that as a tool Mm -hmm. to build yourself and learn Mm -hmm. from it. And I remember that interview specifically yeah, because, you know, you did have a lot of things to bring to the table and you did have your story to share. Mm -hmm. I think that and you could correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Something that you took away from that was not just asking the advice that they gave you. Mm -hmm. You were able to you learn how to present yourself explain why your background would be of value to the organization mm-hmm. have a great conversation that demonstrates that you have the capability to do well in the organization mm-hmm. and then you would ask for additional things after that yep mm-hmm. were you surprised uh, by anything that these people told you during your informational interviews mm. or what were some takeaways or some advice that those folks gave you yes yeah, so I, I think when i interviewed with her name was andre at square, square. yeah Andre was one person I spoke with who helped build my confidence because she told me after listening to my story, she's like, you know what? We need people like you in these companies. We need people who have these untraditional backgrounds here because you bring a different kind of skill to this company. But not not just this company, not just Square, but just 
companies in general because they're not used to having one African-Americans in their company, not used to having women and then having a young mother with my story. I bring a whole different skill set that people from Stanford or other Ivy League schools that don't bring in. Yeah, they have, may have better education, but honey, I have hustle. And yep. when your company's down, I'm going to help bring it up because I had to help bring myself up. You know what I mean? So just I think her speaking with her and she's like, you know, tell your story and don't say it like, oh, it's sad, poor old me. You say it like, listen, you want to have me. You'd be crazy not to have me because some of these people in this room is kind of weak and I'm a strong <laughs> woman. <laughs> um, yeah. And just listening to her, that she definitely helped me. I, that was like one of the best sit down meetings I had. So shout out to Andre. <laughs> awesome. And so, you know, that was all during your initial visit. visit. That you was the visit. You hadn't fully moved out here. <laughs> no. So can you talk about, you know, yeah. when you took that plunge, what you were yep. feeling, yep. you know, what your parents were saying, what your friends were saying. Can you yeah. talk about that? So after the visit, so that's when I was set in stone. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this move. And then I surprised my sister by telling her I was going to make the move within, I think it was like three weeks or four weeks. So she's like, wait a minute. So you like really coming? I'm like, yeah. I'm and your sister was going through like also trying to find an apartment, apartment that would yeah. fit everybody at the same time yep. too. Because she wasn't even here. And she at was the out time. of town. Yeah, I think she was in Brazil. She was in. I don't even think she was in the same country. <laughs> she was out, <laughs> and she's like, we don't have a home. We don't like. What are we gonna do? And I'm like, well, we didn't have a plan before, and we made it. Like you remember those one bedroom days? Remember when we stood with three other people in the room? We made it. We could do it again. And I remember like. At that point, I was like, I had to thank God. I'm like, I, I see why you put me through that when I was young, because this is what's going to help me make this move. So I, you know, thank gosh, I started, I learned about having a savings account, something I wasn't taught when I was young. But while I was in D.C., I started just to take out some money out each paycheck. So only thing I had coming up here was about $2,000. And that may sound like a lot. But if you move it to San Francisco, $2,000 might give you like a burger <laughs> or with a good a child steak. Yeah, you know, driving. yeah, with a child and everything. And if you have money, you can make that move, you know, buying two flight tickets, bringing your luggage over, you know, moving your car over. No, I didn't have that. If I had that $2,000, I'm like, how am I going to milk this 2000 to last me until I find a job? So instead of flying out here, I drove out here, packed my bags. And I remember my mom was like, you sure? Like, let's sit down and talk about this one more time. And I'm like, mom, I have to do this. Like, I have to, I understand you want me here. I understand I am comfortable in D.C. I understand I have a good job. Like, but if I want, if I really want to break this statistic that I was in, I already broken a lot of barriers, you know, finishing high school, graduating college, you know, moving to a different city. I broke a ton of barriers as a single mom. This was like, mom, this is nothing. Like, let me do this. I know it's going to be painful and I'm going to hit rock bottom, but I hit rock bottom way before and I build my way up. So she took two weeks off work and me and her got into that car and we drove cross country to California. And your and sister arranged the whole road trip details she while she wasn't even in town. Yep. And I can't tell you the states because I'm not really good with all the states in America. So <laughs> back to that lack of education. <laughs> I had a couple of states here and there, some Dakotas and Utahs and stuff like that. But yeah, she planned a trip. And what's funny is that when I got here, we still didn't have an apartment. So I got here and um, thank gosh, you know, her job had our back and it was like you know we'll give you this sublease of like two weeks or so in the city but that's about it so when we first moved here we we stood in san francisco in a studio with three of us no, actually four of us because my mom was there and my mom was like once she got there she i remember she just had anxiety every day because she thought it made the worst choice ever but i was like no mom like it's 
don't worry, don't worry. Like, I, I, we're going to do it. We're going to have a plan. So as soon as I got here, I started interviewing. And I'm not going to name all the companies, but I definitely had, you know, two companies that I had interview with. And I think I was, you know, on the third stage of the interview and I, mm-hmm, and I felt really confident in it. But then I was talking to Ruben, me and him was on a couch one day. This was in your new apartment. So you oh, did, yeah, you yeah. Found so I did, we apartment. did find out. Sorry, let me let me tell you all the good part. <laughs> <laughs> so those two weeks, we did find an apartment in Oakland. And I also had a timeline of school. So, you know, school was getting started. For London. Yeah. And in London, you know, she already done missed two days because we haven't had her enrolled. So we found our apartment on time. Thank gosh especially with the money that I saved, um, helped us and having my sister, Darlene, you know, we put it together and felt the last minute and then somehow got my daughter in school. So within those two weeks, we was already out that apartment. We didn't even need that full sublease. So once I got my apartment, me and Ruben was sitting on the couches. I think it was like 11 p.m. It was like extra late. It was extra late. late. And um, he was like, you know, how, how's work? Like, you know, how's finding work? And I was telling him like, oh, I got this two companies, you know, but it's going to take like another week and a half just to sit in at the panel and speak with all these people for the last round of interviews. I'm like, it's taking forever. And then, you know, me and him was talking about my background and he's like, listen, he's like, you did elderly care, right? And I was like, yeah, I did elderly care. And he was like, huh. He was like, and you know, you, you had this recruitment experience. I was like, yeah, that's all my experience. And, you know, I want to do HR, I want to do recruiting and things like this. And he was like, you know, honor is hiring a hiring coordinator. That's what they're looking for. And he was like, Rita, why aren't you applying? And I'm like, well, I didn't know. Like, can I apply right now? He's like, listen, this is what you do. He's like, forget applying online because applying online gets you nowhere. I learned that the hard way. Those they don't see especially them. when you have this guy yeah. working at the company. <laughs> yeah, like you don't apply online. That does not work. You need to know somebody. You need so those connections that I built. Like, you need to know someone who's already at that company. And he's like, you know what you do? He's like, I don't care how late it is. You're going to email this person right now at 12 a.m. And you're going to give her a small brief of your story within like three sentences and write four bullets of your skills. And he'll send it out to her. Just keep it simple like that and just sell yourself. It was like my elevator speech in the email. He's like, you have to do that tonight. So I was like, all right, like <laughs> challenge accepted. And, you know, I sent out that email that night and I was nervous. And I woke up the next morning, it was like 6 a.m. And Ruben's like, check your email, check your email. And I look and you know, the woman responded and she's like, can you come in for an interview at 12 p.m. today? And I'm like, all right, well, yeah, of course. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't have my notes ready. And I had met with Phaedra at Honor. And I remember sitting in that room and I told her my story and how I got here. And she just looked at me. Phaedra, you know, is another mother. And I feel like she... I don't know Phaedra's stories too much, but at that moment, I felt like she understood me. It was like, you know what? This girl has a lot of value and she may have a lot to learn, but she has a lot of value. She has a lot of hustle. And within, I think, 15 minutes of that interview, she gave me the job at Honor. And that was my big break. So that was my break. Wow. In. And then and I got got the call the same day and I was like, she was like, yeah, I, I got the job like less than 24 hours later. I was like, wow. Yeah, was like the email really was sent at 12 a.m. by 12 p.m. The next day I had a job. And when I say Phaedra was like, you ready to go? She she told me I start the next day. <laughs> so even the HR girl walked in the room. She was like, make sure she signs her offer letter and everything. And she's like, wait, she need references. And <laughs> Phaedra's like, no, she don't. Like she starts <laughs> like tomorrow. She'll be here giving her laptop, everything. And I mean, they threw me into that position, but I hit the ground running. Like I've been there for four months now. and 
my team was like, I remember you first started and we heard your story. We were just so excited and just seeing how you built. I didn't know too much when I started there, but I mean, it was it was a big challenge. And a lot of it, I, I felt sometimes I'm like, I don't think I'm prepared for this. I always question myself a lot, but I worked through it and it's been great so, so far. Can you talk a, lot, a little bit about some of the things that you're doing day to day that's different from your yeah. job at FDA or other jobs you've had that yeah. weren't in startups? Yep. So just one, having them. So with startups, you know, they're building their new systems. So bring, building their new ATSs. I don't know what an ATS stands for. Applicant tracking system. Thank you. <laughs> Applicant tracking system. And they're building it from scratch. So, you know, there's one of the engineers had sat with me a couple of days ago. And she's like, I need your input of what needs to be in the system. And I'm looking like, you need mine? Like, I don't, I just make the call. She's like, no, like you, we need your ideas. And me and her and my manager, we sat down on the ground and it was my first like experience. I felt like I was an engineer myself because I'm like, well, you need to, you know, build this label here and create this little thing here. And me and her was just working together. And I'm like, to me, that was new. And I'm like, why would an engineer ever ask me for my advice? But I realized how, you know influencing my skills where I'm like, yeah. oh, you need And me. you're the customer because yeah. they're building that software tool to yeah. make your job easier exactly. to automate. Like, yeah. To and I was telling her what you. wasn't working because yeah. I, I, the first day it was launched, no offense, I love her, but it was a mess. It was mm-hmm. not ready. And I had to use it. I'm making these calls. I'm like, this is all broken. This is not easy yeah. flow. And me and her sat down, I think for like two hours and she fixed some of the systems. I told her it wasn't working, what should be new. And we created that system together. And that's something I never built before. I never and built you, a tracking system. And you system. knew how caregivers work from a day-to-day basis. Yeah, you knew I was a what was top myself. of mind. Mm-hmm. So you were able to bring that to the table because, yep. you know, they are working on the laptops all yeah. day and you're out there in the field, mm-hmm. you know, bringing in that insight. And even coming up with new ideas. So when you're talking about day-to-day, like when we... When I first started, it was talking about the dropout rate. I'm not going to get too into it, but, you know, we needed help of how we were going to get more caregivers and, and, you know, bring them on board. And I'm telling them, I'm like, you know, look how much tech has changed and, you know, what we can do with our applications. I'm like, no one just goes on a website anymore. Like, what are different ways people can apply? Mm -hmm. So we came up with this idea of having people text to apply. Because a lot of times people can't answer their phone call for a phone interview if they're already working. So, um, you know, just creating a system of sending out text messages and having people apply just through one message after another and creating that system was something that was new to me. Um, and I was just happy to be part of just coming up with that idea. Mm-hmm. That's really incredible. Mm-hmm. So in terms of impressions, I think when you were saying earlier, living on the East Coast, you yeah. thought startups were just a bunch of um, guys sitting at a laptop. Now that you've worked for a startup for a few months, has that perception changed? And then how do you view startups differently now? Yeah, so definitely not. Well, no, I still do sit in front of a computer, but I'm not coding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, just I definitely view startups much more differently or just tech differently and how it can be used. Like I said, just being looking at recruiting as a way of tech and you know how technology should, I guess, improve it or just honor in general, like we do healthcare, right? So revolutionizing the healthcare industry, bringing tech into the healthcare industry is something I didn't think was possible. Because back then when I'm thinking like, you know, tech is too, how can a senior or someone who may be 70 use tech? Mm -hmm. And I'm like 18 and I was afraid of it, but just looking at it in a different perspective. So how it can make care easier or how people could go into their job and just clock in with a click of a button. 
when you know how tech is used that way or how family members of a client could just look at an app and see that their father is okay and what they did for that day and you know the walks that they took or what the caregiver had done for them or the notes that they left using tech like that in a way it's just something I didn't think of when I thought tech so I guess that kind of answers your questions yeah. of how I view it differently yes that's amazing and yes. so do you have any plans for the future or what mm-hmm. are you, how, how are you thinking about you know tying in what you've now know to mm-hmm. your community in Philly or across yeah. the nation, your family, yeah. um, and uh, what do you want to do next? Yeah. So right now I'm still, I'm still, you know, getting the ball going. I'm only 25 and I still like, I'm pretty young and I'm still figuring out a lot of things. But in terms of the future, my main goal is to bring everything I'm learning and bring it back. If not, my target is mothers. So having young mothers, I mean, going back to the beginning of my story, when the fact that I had to hide my pregnancy because I was so scared of being a statistic and I was so scared of falling back into my neighborhood, if I just had that one mom that probably would have spoke to me or I could have heard her story, like she made it. She made it from the environment that I was in. She broke out of it and she did it on her own. And I can be that person. So my main goal is everything that I learn every day. Every resource that comes my way, I need to bring that back to my community, but I need to bring that back to that mom or one mom to anyone who needs my help. I just want to be that helping hand. I want to tell them my story and I want to tell them how I got here and show them what they can do so that they won't be a statistic because society is what's doing that to them. You know what I mean? Is it teachers? Is the nurses? Is the sometimes your family? But you need to break that cycle. And that's what I'm trying to do. So as I move forward, Everything that I'm learning, uh, and I'm starting to learn to write things down. Like, Rita, you, def- you definitely accomplished a lot of stuff, and look how you did it. But I need to start writing these things down so when a person comes to me like, hey, I need help, mm-hmm. I can actually show them, like, this is what you could do. Like, this is what's out there that you don't even know about. But I need my city to be woke. I need Philadelphia. I need more jobs to come there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Jobs are leaving, and they're not coming back. And on top of that, the jobs that are there, they're paying the minimum wage. You know, it's no reason why some of my family members, my mother included, who's been working her butt off for years, is still going to get paid close to nine dollars or something like that. That's a smack in the face. I need that to change. Mm-hmm. I need someone to start bringing more resources to Philadelphia and other cities as well. I mean, being in Ferguson, you know, was hard itself, but I need to change that. So while I'm here, you know, I just got here. I've only been out here for five, five six months, but. If I'm going to be out here for a couple of years, I am going back to the East Coast and I come back to the East Coast. I'm going to be loud and I'm. They better be ready. Yeah, for they better be ready for me. Yeah. And it's not just something you're trying to do. It's something that you're doing. It's something yeah. that you're going to do. It's something that we're going to be looking forward to with your leadership. You've already started organizing with other young mothers in tech. Yeah. And we really, really look forward to seeing your leadership and seeing you break yeah. this cycle. Being on this podcast is breaking the cycle. Because I hope, I hope there's a young mother out here or just a mother in general just listening to this right now and you know i hope she's hearing my story and i um, hope that's once she's done with this podcast she's go on google and you know start making change or get up and start creating a plan and just do it don't think about it and don't let fear consume you just do it that's, 100%. that's really inspiring mm-hmm. so at this part of the podcast we do the lightning round and that's where the three of us will ask you a series of questions so try to give us short responses yep. that are filled with strategies, tactics, and new resources that you've used uh, along the way. Yep. 
So you've shared that throughout your story, you've moved to new cities with your sister, sometimes without her, and like kind of starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. So if you were moving to a brand new city, you only had $100, and you were starting from scratch again, what would you do and how would you spend that money to get you off the ground and running? Yeah. So what's funny about that question right there is it's not a what-if scenario. It's, it already happened to me. Mm -hmm. So $100 is a lot. I moved to a new city with just $25. Mm -hmm. When I moved to Ferguson, I didn't have any money. D.C., I didn't even have $100 either. Mm -hmm. So that little bit of money that I had, I made that stretch. And the way I did it was just looking for resources out there. What's weird is that my mom was so against welfare because she she just really didn't want to be on it. And she was like, I don't want I don't want to accept any money from the government at all. And she made me kind of think that way. And that kind of messed me up in a way because I could have used food stamps. I didn't have no food. And I'm like, dang, I can't. And I didn't have medical insurance either. So I remember when I first moved to those cities, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to use whatever I can get. I'm using it. I don't care if people look at me in shame like, oh, my God, you got the food stamps? You got that green card? Yes, I do. And I'm <laughs> it's going to help you with my food. I'm going to have food in my fridge. Just doing that and then any gigs that you can get. So, I mean, shout out to Uber and Lyft. If you got a car, you better use that. That is your income right there. So definitely use it. I'm trying to think if you if you got a home, if you do have an apartment and you feel comfortable with sleeping on a couch just to rent out your room so someone could pay for it, hit up Airbnb. You know, that's another resource right there. I'm trying to think. And, you know, there's some things that I did when I had just those $25. If I had 100 that would have been a lot. But, you know, I had to give up some of my personal items just to bring, take that 100 to make it to 110. But it was it was an extra dollar added to it. I and mean, I wouldn't want to go that route. But sometimes you have to make those sacrifices if it's worth it, you know, to bring that money up. Or even if you have a small talent. So something about me, I was always good at eyebrows. My eyebrows are always sharp. They're sharp now. Don't kind of play me. <laughs> so I, I remember I used to, it's when I was in college and I didn't have money, I just tell girls at the college campus, like, y'all trying to get your eyebrows done? Just $5. That's it. <laughs> right there. That was my gig. Done. That was it. $5. Like a, lot, a lot of the a lot of people in college used to cut hair. Yeah. Growing up, braid hair growing up. You know, yeah. It's, it's the hustle. Yeah. So you got to learn how to hustle. $100 <laughs> could take you places. People look at it and be like, $100, that's nothing. No, $100 is something. I, I, I could make it to 200 by next week. Straight up. Make some flyers. You know. Yeah. That's uh, what I'm saying. If you're good at computer. <laughs> If you could go on Instagram and you put filters on your photos, trust me, you could somehow make a flyer with just some <laughs> filters. I did it before. hundred percent. Yeah. So just use little hidden talents. Any resources? Awesome. Awesome. So take us back to, you know, some of the, we've talked a lot about ups and downs on this podcast. So can you take us back to one of the valleys that you were going through and whether you, you know, listen to any music or a movie or uh, something that you did to help you overcome or maybe when somebody told you that you were going to be a statistic, what did you do to like, you know, motivate yourself to break it through other than, you know, telling yourself that you're going to break it through? Did you, you know, listen to music or watch a movie or something? Yeah. So there was definitely, I mean, listening to my story and being a young mother, there was definitely times where I was going to give up. And I had to think to myself, like, what am I doing? Like, and I, I had to look at my daughter and I'm like, am I helping her or am I hurting her? Just us being alone or staying in these one bedrooms or her being away from, you know, her family. I questioned myself a lot. And there's a lot of times, I remember even in college or when I was in D.C., I'm like, I need to go back home. Like, you know, maybe I am a statistic. Maybe 
I do belong to be in my parents' house and living just off of, you know, public assistance just to be comfortable. But while I talked myself out of it, it's funny. One of the main songs I will always listen to and I sing to her was trade songs, Just Gotta Make It. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. Ruben, I think it was in an email of ours when we had the road trip plan to California and my mom was sitting there with her little anxiety attack. And I'm like, and we were all in the email shared. And I, the last email sent out was the lyrics to that song of Just Gotta Make It. So that song is what, if you haven't listened to it, that's that's what brought, that's what made Trey Songs Trey Songs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if you want to be Trick or Trey. I don't know what he is right now, but that was Trey Songs back then. And I sing that to my daughter because all I got is a dollar in a dream, literally. So there's no going back home. There's no going back to Philadelphia. I'll go back to visit during the holidays, but that's not home. We're building that right now. And I need her with me. I need my daughter there because she's the reason why I'm doing all this. And I'm thankful that during the times where I feel like it's too hard, I could just look at her and that's it. That was motivation enough. So that song and my child being there, my child was the best thing that happened to me. And I hate it when I was pregnant and people are like, oh, was it a mistake? No, it wasn't a mistake. <laughs> like, this is not a mistake. This is God's plan. Because God saw how I was before she came along. He saw the path I was going down. And that was a statistic. Who I am now? No, I'm not, that's not who I am. And my daughter is what made me the woman I am today. And how I even got here was all because of her. She didn't hold, she doesn't hold me back at all, ever. If you can't meet with me during a coffee break or whatever, and it's because I can't find a babysitter, guess what? My daughter will be there. My daughter mm-hmm. was in this podcast room today. <laughs> and it's <laughs> 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. She, when you see me, you see her because either way, I'm going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, And then for a movie, this one is a teardropper. Pursuit <laughs> of Happiness. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, that's, that's, boy, that, oh, every boy. time I was trying to break in, that's actually my movie. Yeah. And I didn't, I always thought that was a movie in New York, but didn't it's, realize it was in San, San Francisco. Francisco. And when I was first trying to get into that and watching that scene when he first got the job. Yo. So that, and I was watching time. that movie before I thought of moving to San Francisco. And I haven't watched it since I got up here, but I remember during my dark times, I'll put that movie on. But now I think about it, I'm like, I ended up at the same place mm-hmm. where he was at, but that. That movie, oh man! I mean, that and is the truth. Story. That yeah. is, totally. yeah, and it's the truth. If you, when I look at my story, I mean, I feel it. And it's like when those times you felt like giving up, mm-hmm. how he had to stay in the train station mm-hmm. in that room. It gets like that. Mm-hmm. It gets if you have Ain't a child lied. or without a child, it gets like that. Yeah. You saw how he had to try to hustle those little machines he had. I can't remember what they mm-hmm. were, but like you know, that was his way of making that little bit of money till he got the job he wanted. Mm-hmm. So that is, yeah. Yeah, those two things. I fully agree. (laughs) Fully agree. Yeah. So the next question that we usually ask, based on your experiences, what would you say is the biggest piece of advice that you would have for a teen mom or someone who was in your shoes, let's say five, six years ago, and uh, like, what would you want them to do next to kind of get up there and like get back on their feet? Yeah. So kind of like I said earlier, if there's a mom out here who's listening to this or anyone that kind of has my story is just forget what society says, like forget what your parents are saying, what your friends are saying. It's mostly the people who influence you the most are the ones that are bringing you down, especially when you're a mom. The people who told me I wasn't going to make it was my teachers, was my principals, was my family members. I remember my aunt laughed at me when I told her I was going to leave. She's like, girl, you'll be back. It was the nurse that was in the room when she was showing me how to 
you know, take care of myself after I use the bathroom. And then she made this remark was like, oh, girl, you're going to be here, you know, in a couple of months. We're used to people like you. That was a nurse who said that to me. Forget those people. If your heart is telling you, I want to be different or I have a plan and this is not it, then make that plan into an action. Do it. Don't wait for someone to tell you to go ahead and do it. You are telling you to go ahead and do it. If you have that hustle, if you not even sometimes you don't even have the strength, but you just have to give it that try. So I just if you just get up and sometimes if you don't have a plan, just still take that jump. The best thing I could have did was leave that job that I had, that little comfortable life that I had and come back out here and hustle again. That was the best thing I ever did. And if someone would have told me five years ago that I was going to do it, I would have laughed I'm like, no way. No way. I need a break. I thought honestly, I thought living in D.C. was my big break. I thought that was it. Like, OK. I got to college. I did it all like, ooh, I can settle down now. And I had the nerve to put myself back in the situation, but I had to do it and it is worth it. And I'm sure you'll do it again. You're 25. Oh, oh yeah. I'm only, <laughs> listen, I'm only 25. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going to move next. <laughs> I'm probably going to see me in a different country. I don't know. But if, if it's calling my name, if I get that idea, there's never a why not. Like, no, why not right now? 100%. 100%. And how could people get in touch with you? Yeah, so on social media, the thing with social media, I'm trying to get off of it because I feel like it's just consuming my life. I hate that I spend time on looking through Instagram when I should probably be looking at something else. But you can find me on Instagram at dear, D-E-A-R underscore Rita, R-I-T-A. You can find me on Facebook, Rita Henderson Montez. And I'm a pool what my sister did. You can definitely text me. You can definitely text me. My telephone number is 215-704-8035. But reach out to me because I just want to make sure that I'm not doing all this and I'm not helping any. Like, I want to change, change that one person's life or like motivate that one person. It's not like I want someone to look up to me, but I feel like everything that I've done and knowing the circumstances and knowing the situation, sometimes you need that helping hand. And if I would have had that helping hand, Ruben just introduced me to this mother out here, Natasha. Who was also on the podcast? Who was? Oh, she. Oh, yeah, Natasha. <laughs> but I remember when I first met her, I was like, where were you these last eight years? I needed you. I needed to know that there was another mom out here hustling just like I was. Like, I needed her. And I met her just now. But I'm like, just people like that. I want to be that someone. I want to be that Natasha to someone else. So if you want to reach out to me, any questions at all, I may not be like other people who's been on the podcast who could use all these like, you know, special terms. And, you know, I, I connect with this person, that person. I've been in this company. I'm just now starting, but I have a big story to tell. And, you know, so I'm someone that's good to know. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Thank you so really much. We're excited to, to see the hundreds, if not thousands of mothers that are going to follow your path. You know, we, we know that, you know, without women, without mothers, there are no men in this world. And you guys mm-hmm. are the creators of life. And, you know, we're excited to see your movement. I think that we can do to help let us know. Yeah. Um, and hope you have a great Christmas and a happy new year. Yeah. Merry yeah. Christmas, everyone. Even though it's 2017 already. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. 
Let's break in. 